We announced our theme last week, last Sunday night, very excited about it, from Hebrews 4.16. I pray it will be something that will just be very practical and very real to you. And sometimes as we think about themes, we're trying to do something that we think is different and novel. And I just felt like starting last year, just even as early as March when the pandemic hit, I started praying about the theme and said, Lord, I don't, I don't want something novel. I just want something that, Lord, that will really help our lives and help me. And over and over again, God kept bringing me back to Hebrews 4.16 in my readings, my studying, just whatever it may be, just kept coming back to me. And I kept studying and studying and studying and just praying over it. And that's where we're at right now. And it's, I can't think probably of a theme perhaps for this coming year that's probably more important for us than the grass, the great need of prayer. I have had to say there is one need that every one of God's people has, you have, I have, no matter who we are, we need to learn how to pray. Jesus' disciples came to him. They've been with him many times in prayer. And yet they came to him. They said, Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray, even as John taught his disciples to pray. Jesus taught the model prayer, the pattern of prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, when he gave them that model prayer, he said, Now when thou prayest, pray this. He said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He taught them that model prayer. He taught them to pray for their daily bread. He taught them to pray to be delivered from evil. He taught them to forgive other men's sins, that their sins would be forgiven. He taught us how to pray. He didn't tell us to pray that exact prayer, but he gave us a pattern for prayer. He taught us that prayer is understanding there's a paternal aspect to that, that we're going to our Heavenly Father when we pray. I was asked the question, is there anything wrong to praying to Jesus? There's nothing wrong in praying to Jesus. Jesus is God and God is Jesus. But I have to say this, the Bible teaches and it gives us instruction that when we come to God in prayer, we must approach him as our heavenly father. Hence, we're told in Romans chapter 8, we call upon him as Abba, Father. There's a, there's a term of intimacy. Before you got saved, he was God, your judge. But thank God today that when you're saved, he's God, your father. And thank God today that that throne that, that uh, at one time before you and I got saved was a throne of wrath and a throne of justice. But today, because we're saved, it's a throne of grace. And so we can therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That verse of Scripture, I hope that you familiarize yourself with it. That verse of Scripture tells us that God gives us considerable permission. Considerable means vast, open, unlimited. It's unbounded. There's no restraints. It says he gives us considerable permission that we can come to the God of creation, the God who's king of all the universe and over the, all the earth. He's a God who does not shun us, but a God who accepts us. He invites us to come into his presence. And we're told to come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That word boldly we'll find throughout Scripture is, is intertwined in many, many incidences and situations. And one of them is right here in 1 Samuel 21. We, we see a, 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 a story, a real story, that involves boldness on the part of David. How David exercised boldness at a very needy time. It's a passage of Scripture that challenges you and I in our faith when we're facing uncertainties, uh, setbacks, problems, and challenges in our life. What to do and where to go in those situations. Notice in verses 8 and 9, David is in need of a weapon. He's running as a, as, a, as a fugitive. He's in need of a weapon. He does not have a sword. He does not have a spear. He doesn't have any kind of weapon. And of all things, he goes to the high priest at the city of Nob, and he says, do you have anything here of a weapon? The priest told him, yes, I have a weapon here. There's something, a sword, that's available for you if you would take it. I want you to notice three things from this passage of Scripture. The first two points I want you to notice kind of give us the background leading into the third point, which is really where I want to spend the rest of our time. The first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is David running. 
We see David running. David is running out of fear. David is a man who's hated. David is a man who's hunted. King Saul had decided in his mind out of cruel jealousy and cruel envy on his part, out of much insecurity in his life, he had decided in his heart that David was his enemy when in fact David was the best thing that ever happened to Saul. He decided in his heart that he thought David was going to lead a revolt against him for the kingdom. And so therefore Saul became David's enemy. David never became Saul's enemy, but Saul became David's enemy. And Saul started to poison the minds of the very men that he put David in charge of David at one time was in charge of all the men of war, the entire army. He taught them and he was over them. A young man who was very skilled in courage and boldness and the Lord's strategies. He turned against David. He turned his men against him. And so we see David running for his life. If you go back a few verses, notice in 1 Samuel 19, 18, the Bible says, So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah. As soon as he found out that Saul wanted to kill him, we go back in that same chapter and we uh, actually at uh, uh, that same chapter. And Saul's daughter, Saul's daughter that uh, David was married to, Michael, she let down David by, by a rope or by, by, some, by, by a cord and let him down out the window so he could escape. And at that point in time, David realized that Saul was after him. Saul wanted to kill him. He saw that the doors were covered. Everything was covered. He had to get out. And so in, Psalms, in 1 Samuel 19, 18, the Bible says David fled and escaped. And he came to Samuel, to Ramah. He went to where Samuel was at, hoping he'd find, he'd find shelter and safety there. We go to 1 Samuel 20 and verse 1. We find David running again. The Bible says, And David fled from Naoth in, in Ramah. So he went from Ramah, and then he was in this area called Naoth, and he ran from there. David is on the run. He's running because he's filled with fear. 1 Samuel 20, verse 1, which is our chapter, uh, 21, verse 1, which is our chapter we're studying this morning. It says, Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. David was running because he was afraid. Fear makes every one of us a coward. You can think back, and I can think back perhaps of a moment of time when there was uncertainty, there was, un- there was setback, there was a period of darkness in our life, and we didn't really know what was going on, and we became fearful because we couldn't predict the future, because we didn't have control, because things were spinning in a direction that was outside of us. Where there is fear, we doubt God. Where there's fear, we sometimes look for help everywhere except for God. You know what I'm talking about. We start thinking about, I need to call this person, that person, this person, that person. I better go see the doctor. I better go see this person, that person. And we find that out of fear, we're driven to things. And the last resort many of us go to is to go to God directly. May remind you this morning, perhaps as a Christian who may, may have experienced running, or you may be running now, we must be careful that we do not let fear control us. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I remind you this morning, if you have any fear in your life or when fear comes, fear do not come from God. Fear is of the flesh. Fear is of the devil. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. And by the way, that's talking to believers. God has not given you and I a spirit of fear. You may be fearful about What will happen this Wednesday after the Congress meets about the Electoral College votes? You may be concerned whichever way it goes. Either they're going to decide that there was a fraudulent election or they're going to decide on a new president. Whatever it may be, whatever's going to happen, it's going to be a chaotic situation every way. We have to understand this morning that we live in a time there's uncertainty about many, many things in our economy, many, many things about our world. There's many uncertainties and fears about world leaders and about world conditions. People are concerned about that. But the Bible says, 
says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. When fear comes into your heart, your thoughts, at that moment of time, you should think about 2 Timothy 1.7. Remind yourself, God does not give you fear. God gives you power. And He gives you love. Why love? Because perfect love casteth out all fear. And He gives us a sound mind. He disciplines our thoughts and our thinking so that an undisciplined heart and an undisciplined mind doesn't start running off this way because of fear. And that we understand that God gives us power and love and a sound mind. We're reminded over in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 25 the fear of man bringeth the snare I remind you this morning when fear comes into our life it is like running and then falling into an open pit because you didn't know the pit was there the fear of man brings a pit it brings a trap it brings a snare it traps you it entices you it holds you it binds you and listen if you're not very careful if you are living in fear if you're living in fear of man if you're living in fear of wondering what people think of you Here's what's going to happen. It will become a stronghold, a spiritual strong in your life. And a stronghold, the best way I can, can describe it, is like someone putting a big headlock on you and you can't break free. Or they put a full Nelson on you and you can't break free. It's when they put that hold on you and you're stuck and you're, you're writhing around trying to break free, but you can't. We must be very careful of fears that come our way. I'm going to ask you this morning, are you someone running because of fear? Are you someone running from God? Are you someone running from the church? Are you someone running from your spiritual life? Are you someone running from the things of God? Be careful of your fears. David was a great man of God. Two chapters before we get to chapter 20, uh, three, uh, four chapters before we get to chapter 21, David has conquered Goliath. David is the only one in all of Israel, out of all those men, who had the courage to stand up to the giant, who actually ran out to the giant. He had no armor on. He had, no, he had none of the suit of armor. He had none of those things. All he had was a script, which is a bag that had five smooth stones in it, and he had the shepherd's sling. And he went out there and confronted the, 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 great, the great giant. They sang about David. They had a ballad, an ode they sang about him. They said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David is slain his 10,000. David was known for his courage, and yet that same man who was greatly on the mountain, and that same man who was spiritual and on top of things, and was a giant killer, and his inspiration to every one of us, how we can conquer the giants of our life. Let me remind you that four chapters later, just a few months after that incident, we find David running out of fear. You might be in your devotions, and you might be doing very well, and you might be very active serving God, but be careful. There might be an arrow that the devil is going to fire at you, a flaming dart that will come at you and fear will come your way and fear makes cowards out of us fear makes us shirk fear makes us run fear makes us just reticent to do things we become paralyzed by our fears oh we see david running but notice secondly let's go back to our passage of scripture we only see david running what you notice this morning we see david's refuge david was looking for a refuge he was looking for a hiding place he was looking for safety. He was looking for some place where he could be sheltered, a haven, if you would, that could keep him from the harm of Saul. And so it was put on his heart to go to the city of Nob. Previously, he ran to Samuel, but Saul found him there. So he thought, well, I'll go a little bit further away. Now go to the little obscure city of Nob. That's where the priests were. Eighty-five priests lived there. Eighty-five priests served God there. Sacrifices were done there. And he thought, if I go there, Saul perhaps and his men will have enough reverence towards the men of God that they won't come there. And maybe Saul will remember how the Spirit of God brought him down at, at, at Ramah and made him prophesy like, like everyone else and brought him under the control of the Spirit rather than after David. And David should have learned from that. He should have just stayed there at Ramah with Samuel instead of running again. 
And so David's thinking, well, if I run, as long as I can be out of the, the eyesight of Saul, then maybe I'll be saved. So he goes to the city of Nob. It was known for its sacrifices. It was known as the place where the priests lived. And so he's there, and he's hoping to find refuge from there. And so notice verse 1. The Bible says, Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone and no man with thee? Now Ahimelech did not greet David with open arms. So, oh, David, so good to see you. He didn't greet him with open arms. He expected if David was going to be there, why was there not a formal delegation of the king's servants there? Why is David coming Un, uh, just unprepared, if you would. His dress and demeanor did not depict that he was sent from the king. And he also knew, because word has spread through the kingdom, that Saul hated David, and Saul wanted David killed. So now he's kind of wondering in his mind, is everything I've heard true? Is it really true? And the priest asked a question that's worth just pausing for a moment on. He said, why art thou alone and no man with thee? You know, that's a good question to ask. When you withdraw from the fellowship of God's people. That's a good question to ask when you withdraw from your family. That's a good question to ask when problems overwhelm you. And you withdraw and find yourself in a different world. Because you don't want to be connected. You don't want to be connected to reality. You don't want to deal with the hurt. You don't want to deal with the sorrow. And so the question is asked. Why art thou alone and no man with thee? Why art thou alone in your spiritual life? And you feel that you can live your life outside the local New Testament church. Or outside the fellowship of God. The looked at David, and David should have known better, and he asked the question, why art thou alone and no man with thee? Can I tell you something this morning? One of the greatest goals you can make for 2021 is to make sure you're in the fellowship, you're among the fellowship of God's people at Heritage Baptist Church. Listen, as I've been reading through this thing, and some of you have as well, I'll tell you right now, I don't foresee this thing, uh, things clearing up probably till the third quarter at earliest, and maybe even extended beyond that. There's just many, many concerns globally about shutdowns and all these other kind of things going on there. There are not as many people as the media wants you to know. They're actually accepting vaccines. And many of them, even among healthcare workers, are very reluctant to go forward with it because it's the first generation of vaccines and other reasons why beyond that. And so there's just, just all these concerns here. And the government is trying to put constraints and control over us. You just kind of follow along what's going on. And so if we stay like this for, let's say, the third quarter, even fourth quarter, I mean, you just got to accept the reality. It's not what I want. It's not really what I believe you want in terms of having church this way, but it's just what we have to do accordingly. And we're going to slow bring things back and try to work beyond it. But I want to ask this question. If you're not very careful, and I've been preaching about this a lot the last few weeks, if you're not very careful, and I'm not very careful, we become cynical, and we become just a little bit, just like, oh, this is the way it is, and we start to withdraw ourselves, and we pull ourselves away, and uh, we develop a hyper-spiritual attitude that I don't need to be there because I have my devotion. Let me tell you this morning, the, the, the Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, we're not to forsake the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, you need to give me an amen to that because that's in the Bible right there. The Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I realize there's concern. I realize we have all these, these, these things out there. I realize there's a virus out there. But I also realize that where there's a virus, there's a God in heaven. And that God in heaven is still in control. That God of heaven has not, re, has not relegated that virus over him. He's still in control of things. And he still loves his people. He still loves the local New Testament church. He still wants this church to go forward. He still wants sinners to be saved. Somebody help me with that this morning. Wake up. Come on. Let's get going with it to say. I mean, he asked the question, why art thou alone in no man with thee. So David noticed his answer in verse 2. He made a quick answer. He said, well, the king has commanded me a business and has said unto me, 
Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee. And I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now, it was known that he was the king's servant. There's no question about that. But his answer, his reason for being there was a lie. A great man of God lied. An untruth. Because of fear. Fear of being found out leads to lies. Cover-ups. Manipulations. And so verse 3, David shifts the subject. Notice verses 3 to 6. He shifts the subject because David and a few young men that are with him are hungry. I mean, they, they had to run out and just go. And they burned up a lot of energy. And so he asked the question, now, therefore, what is under thy hand? Now, he had enough sense to know two things. If there's 85 priests in that city, there's food there. Because the people of God, as they brought their sacrifices, the people of God took care of the servants of God. There were certain sacrifices they were involved with that the priests would eat. And David knew, number one, there would be food there. He knew there would be resource there. He knew that if he came to the city of Nob, that he'd find something there that would help him. Now, David went there for physical reasons. David did not go there for spiritual reasons. That's a whole different subject to itself. And we notice verse 3, he says, now, therefore, what is under thy hand? And notice this phrase here, very direct, very direct. Give me five loaves of bread in my hand for what there is present. There's a second thing David knew. He knew that part of the weekly regimen of duties of the priests was to make what is called showbread or hollow bread. Now, the bread as we find it described, or for some of you getting familiar with the Bible, was called unleavened bread. Now, you come to the Lord's table tonight and get your heart right before you come. We serve unleavened bread. Unleavened means there's no, there's no leaven or yeast added to it. Leaven in, throughout the Bible is a picture of sin. It add, added to, to, to flour, uh, ground-up flour. It makes it rise. And uh, that's a good thing for consumption, I guess. But over time, you leave it out there, it's ultimately going to become corrupted because it leads to mold and things like that. You add yeast to grape juice, and it ferments it over time. It becomes corrupted. Yeast, if you would, or leaven as we call in the Bible, is, is a picture of sin. That's why before the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which was associated with the Feast of Passover, they were to, before that, they were to go throughout their home and make sure there was no yeast anywhere. Yeast or leaven is a picture of sin. So the priests there, they made these cakes, these flat breads, these flat cakes of unleavened bread. Now, unleavened bread, as you know, is basically like a cracker. But they made a round cracker, if you would, and they were called loaves, but they really were not loaves as we think of it in Western terminology. And the priests would make a minimum of about 12 of these, 
And there was a table that he was given a description to make. It was called the table of showbread that we find this over in, in Exodus where God gave the command to Moses to make this. And so the table of showbread was set up. It was a, it was a, a table set apart for the holding, if you would, of the showbread. Now, the showbread was, was publicly available for people to see. And the priest would make it uh, would make it hot and put it there, but he would not eat of that bread until the end of the week. The end of the week was when, at the end of the Sabbath, they would offer all the, on the Sabbath day, which would be our Saturday, seventh day of the week, they would, they would offer all these other sacrifices, and after those other sacrifices were offered, then he would eat the showbread. So the part of what the, what the priest would eat would be the showbread. Well, here's what David's thinking. David said, well, you know what? There's this showbread there. There's this showbread that is sitting there. In fact, I, I even believe that David, wherever he was standing with that, the, the priest, Himalek, he could probably see way in the background the showbread. Now, the showbread was important symbolically because it was a picture of the fact it was a continuous reminder of man's dependence upon God. There's this unleavened bread which speaks about our Lord Jesus Christ, and it speaks about him as being the bread of life there, and that's what the man of heaven was symbolic of. It spoke to us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it always, as it sat there during the week until the Sabbath day, it was a reminder to everyone of man's dependence upon God. As they ate of the showbread, it was a reminder that Jesus Christ is the bread of life, and only Jesus can satisfy every soul. And as he ate of it, after all the other sacrifices were given, the Bible, we know this, the Word of God teaches us in Deuteronomy, and Jesus repeated this. He said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. It was a reminder that, that, that showbread as was eaten, that God meets our spiritual need and we're to partake of Jesus Christ and we're to eat of that bread of life. And by the way, you can't get saved unless you take the bread of life as your salvation. Jesus, that bread of life that satisfies every soul. And so David knew in his mind that the showbread was there. And so notice in verse 4, the priest told him, I have no common bread. He said, in other words, I don't have bread that's not been sanctified or hollowed for a special purpose. I mean, he only have bread that's been sanctified or hollow for a special purpose. I don't have common bread. The word common is a very good word study if you have time to study that. We take over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20-21. It talks about common vessels and things of that nature. A whole different study there. But he said, I don't have something that has been set apart uh, for, for normal purpose. I just have this hollow bread. So in the priest's mind, he was thinking, you know what? We've set this bread apart until the end of the week. We're not going to touch it till then. I have that bread. And he said, now, if the young men have kept themselves pure and clean, I can give that, I can give that to you. And David said, notice verse 5, of a truth, women have been kept from us, he says, for about these three days since I came out. And he made a statement to him, which is very important because this goes to the Gospels later on, where Jesus, where, where, where the disciples on the Sabbath day are going through the cornfields and plucking corn to eat, and the Pharisees get mad at them. And Jesus quotes from this very passage of Scripture. But what they miss, what, what, what many people miss is the statement that, that David said here. He said, now, I want you to know, the bread is in a manner common, yet though we're sanctified this day in the vessel. David made a very strong theological statement that Jesus used that the fair, that to remind the Pharisees that even though it was sanctified bread, we're not to sanctify to the place or set apart to the place where it has no practical usage. Let me use an example. It would be wrong for us to take the chairs in this room or this building that we have or the pulpit I have as part of the furniture or the piano and to be, be at a place in our church where we worship the articles, where we worship the building and we worship the podium and we worship the piano or we worship the sound system or we worship the church. It would be wrong for us to set it apart in such a way that we worship it and we don't give honor to the fact that it's common, that it should be put to practical usage. It's a reminder to us of what the Bible teaches us in First John chapter 3 that if you see a brother that has need and you have it by 
value and you do nothing to help that brother in need. He says, you're not loving in word and in deed and in truth. He says, your love is, is fake. It's a farce. It's not real. It's hypocritical. So David made a statement. He said, now I want you to know that the bread really you have there, I understand it's set apart, but it's common. And I want you to know that the young men have been set apart. Well, the priest realized at that moment of time that, you know what? These men are hungry. It has a need. I'm going to take this bread off the altar. We can always make new bread. We can always make new unleavened bread and have it ready for the Sabbath. So he took that bread and he gave it to David. Now, what's the thought I want to give you? David went there for physical refuge. David went there for hiding. David went there because he was hungry. Now, let's stop for a minute and think about the refuge. Let's think about a refuge, biblically speaking. When I got saved in 1971, not long after that, like many Christians, I really didn't understand how to have a, a disciplined time of devotion. I was only 14, 15 years old. And someone gave me a little devotional book that kind of guided me along the way and helped me to get, you know, it's kind of like a quick start to getting familiarized with the Bible. And it was probably the third or fourth month after I got saved, I came to a verse I'm going to give you this morning. I came to Psalms 46, verse 1. I read that verse, and God got a hold of my heart. I was just a young Christian. Still, even today, still gets a hold of my heart. I was a young Christian, and I read the entire chapter over and over and over again. And Psalms 46, verse 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. You see, this morning... Every Christian must come to the reality that we do need a refuge. And God is that refuge, amen? He's the shadow of the Almighty. A healthcare worker contacted me recently, said, Pastor Fong, facility I work at, recently, 15 people, 15 people tested positive. Nine were patients, six were members that were people that worked there. He, they said, I have had to deal with these patients. But said, to the glory of God, I've not contracted. I've, I get tested all weekly. I get tested com continuously. I'm testing negative each time. God has hovered over them. I told that health care worker, that's because you have learned to trust and to be under the shadow of the Almighty. God is our refuge and strength. He is a perfect refuge. He's a timely refuge. He's a very present help in time of trouble. Instead of running from his problem, David should have run to God. Instead of trying to find his hiding place at Nob, he should have found his hiding place in the place of the throne of grace here. We have to understand this morning that our safest refuge is in the Lord. He's our shelter in the time of storm. He's our hiding place from the problems we face. He gives us strength when we feel weak. He helps bolster us when we feel like we're about to quit. He gives us that extra unction we need to go on. We see David running. We see David seeking a refuge. And there is a refuge for every child of God. But I want you to notice the third thing, and that leads us to our passage of Scripture here in verses 8 and 9. Notice David's request. Now, the priest gives David this bread and the young man. And it's enough to satisfy them for that moment of time. They're happy about that. They eat the bread. And so the priest, as you notice in verse 6, he says, the Bible says, There was no bread there, but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord, but hot bread in the day when it was taken away. And so we know that David's hunger was satisfied. Now we look at verse 7. Now if you look at that just in a cursory way, in a very superficial way, you kind of look at verse 7 and say, well, What is verse 7 doing there? Because David's there, and it's telling what David observed. 
Samuel wrote this, right? The, the Holy Spirit spoke to Samuel, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Samuel wrote this here. And Samuel wanted us to understand by the leading of the Holy Spirit what David saw. Because remember, David is running from fear. David looks up, and the fear comes right back up. The fear resurfaces in his heart. It's like it, 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 just, it just kind of went away for a moment. It came back. And the Bible says he saw a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. David knew Doeg. Remember earlier I said, you find this in 1 Samuel 18, David was set over uh, Saul's men of war. Doeg was one of those men of war. Doeg was, if I could describe it this way, was a mercenary. Doeg was a mean-hearted, a cruel, a heartbreak. In fact, Doeg is such a nefarious character. David wrote two psalms about him. Psalm 52, read it. He wrote Psalm 52 in another psalm. I think it's Psalms, uh, somewhere there in Psalms 117 or 116 or so. He talked about him. There. He talked about this man Doeg. They had some common interests. Doeg was a herdsman over Saul's sheep. David was a herdsman. They had some things in common. They most likely rubbed shoulders. They most likely exchanged stories. David saw Doeg there, and this fear came up. Not only that fear came up, David realized that moment, Doeg was such a treacherous person. And you read this in Psalm 52 because he, re- he talked about that. And it was confirmed later on in 1 Samuel 22 when Doeg killed all the priests. That's a whole different message. David knew at that moment of time, I cannot trust this man, Doeg. I cannot trust my circumstances right now. And so David, as he sees Doeg, he shifts his discussion with the, with the priest from his need for bread to his need for a weapon. And he says this question here in verse 8. Notice it. And David said to Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapon with me, because the king's business required haste. And I said this earlier. David ran. He basically told, he told this priest. He said, listen, the king's business required me to move hastily. And I had to leave so quickly. I didn't even have time to grab my sword. I didn't have time to grab a spear. I didn't have time to grab a weapon. He said, I had to run there. And so he says, do you have here a spear or sword? And he's hoping, he's hoping that maybe there's some kind of a weapon there. And he may have even had an inkling in his mind that the sword of Goliath was there. And there the priest made this statement, a very, very transformational statement. He said, yes, yes, there is a sword here. Yes, there is a sword that can be used. And yes, it's a sword that has sharpness. And yes, it's a sword that can be taken to battle. He says, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, Take it, for there's no other save that here. And David said, there's none like that. Give it me. Now he said this, yes, there's a sword. He says, there is a sword. And I agree, you need a sword. And he says, I agree that this, there's a sword that needs to be put to good use. And he said, David, there is a sword. He needed a sword. Listen, brother and sister in Christ, you need a sword. You need the sword of the Lord, which is the word of God. You need a sword for 2021. You need a sword for this morning. You need a sword for your life. You need a sword to get you through the trials of life. You need a sword that's a lamp unto your feet and a light in your path. You need a sword that orders your steps every single day. You need a sword that will help cleanse your way. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to the word of God. You need the sword of the Lord, which is God's word. David was told, yes, there is a sword. There's a sword here that you can 
and use. I want you to see some things about this sword as we close this morning. Number one, would you notice with me the preeminence of this sword? The preeminence of the sword. He makes a statement here. He says, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah. Now notice, this was a famous sword. It was the sword of Goliath. Can I tell you this morning, the Bible is a famous book. You go out throughout the world, and where it's been printed, you find this book there. There's no book, there's no book, there's, there's no book in print that's been published more. There's more copies of the Bible in circulation than any other book. There's no book that warms hearts and touches lives more than the other. There's no book that's most loved and more despised than the Bible, the Word of God. Goliath's sword was famous. The Bible is famous. Men want to eradicate the Word of God. Christians want to uphold the Word of God. It is a famous word. It is a more sure word. It was famous. Notice it was familiar. David remembered holding this sword in his hand. He remembered clutching it, the grip on that sword. He remembered holding that sword and slaying and cutting off the head of Goliath with it. It was a familiar sword. It was a, it was a famous sword. It was a feared sword. It was the sword of a champion. If you remember back in 1 Samuel 17, every single day when Goliath issued that challenge to the Israelites for 40 straight days, he came out there and with full armor. But what they looked at on his left side was that sword of Goliath. As that sword was clanging against the rest of his armor, they saw that massive sword. It was a feared sword. That sword had killed many in conflict. It had beheaded many many an enemy. It had slain many a men. It had killed many men with that sword. It was a feared sword. And David saw it. He saw that it was famous. He saw it was feared. He saw it was familiar. But he saw it was foremost. It was the most noted sword in all of the land. He says, yes, there is a sword here the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah. Henry VIII died on June 20, January 8, 1547. He had a son by the name of Edward who was nine years old. At his coronation day, with all the pomp and circumstance, they placed Edward upon the throne. As part of the ceremony, they got the crown ready to place on his head. But part of the ceremony, they took out three double-edged swords. They placed those swords in front of him because each sword represented the three kingdoms that he would oversee as a nine-year-old boy. With all the pomp and circumstance and all the royalty that was there and all the army, the king surrounding there, the kingdom, these three swords are standing there and they're about to commence this, this, this pomp and circumstance. They're about to pronounce this coronation of the king. Edward stood up the very first time he stood up as a boy, as now the king. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, there is something wanting here. They said, there's something wanting here. And they said, they said what do you mean there's something wanting? He said, there's a sword missing. And all the king's advisors that were there, they said, what do you mean there's a sword missing? What sword are you talking about, sire? He said, the sword of the Lord, the Bible, the Word of God. He says, without that sword, we're destined to fail. Without that sword, we have no guidance. Without that sword, we have no light. Without that sword, we have no bread. Without that sword, we have no direction. Without that sword, we have no life. Let me tell you this morning, if you're a Christian trying to live the Christian life without the Word of God, you're going to fail. You're going to fail, and you're going to fail very bad. You try to live this life without God's wisdom. You try to live this life without God's power. You're going to fail. And that young man there at nine years of age, he said, said, yes, there is a sword missing, the sword, the Word of God. Now, I don't know what kind of year you had in 2020, but if you had a bad year and you didn't have the best year you could, it might have been because there was a sword missing. I'm saying this morning, this sword was preeminent. This sword was preeminent. That means it had the highest of all priorities. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, 
for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, spiritually mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You're not going to make it, friend, without the Word of God. I said you're not going to make it without the Word of God. You're not. It's profitable. Oh, why do I need that old Bible? Because it's profitable. Well, I've got other things to do. It's profitable. But I want to watch TV. It's profitable. I've got another book to read. It's profitable. Either that book's going to keep you from sin or sin's going to keep you from that book. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There's a sword in his preeminence. Notice the second thing. Notice in that passage of Scripture, verse 9. Notice the sword in his preservation. Here's what he said. This sword, he said, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Man, I got excited when I started studying that and thinking about that a little bit. That was the enemy's sword at one time. You leave a sword out for a long period, back in those days especially, exposed to the air elements, it would start to rust. It would lose its shine. It would lose its cutting edge. Sometimes they took the enemy's equipment and they threw it down and they melted it back into, back into just its iron element. Sometimes it would be destroyed so they would not remember it. This sword was preserved. Hey, brother and sister in Christ, the Bible, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the preserved word of God. Amen. God's word is inspired as God breathed. God's word is, God's word is infallible. It cannot fail you. But I want to tell you something else this morning. We have a more sure word. Listen, this morning, the Bible has been preserved for us. It's been preserved for your usage and I. Notice number one, God's word has been preserved from error. Psalms chapter 12, verses 6 and 7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God's word has been, we have a more sure word. God has preserved his word from error. Listen, the original manuscripts, the original papyri and so forth that where the Word of God was written, we don't have those anymore. Those original manuscripts that were written in the, in the, in, in, in the Masoretic text in the Hebrew and the, the received text, we don't have those anymore. And God preserved and, and just oversaw those translators and oversaw those men who copied it out, that they copied it out without error. God has preserved His Word from error. Then we get fast forward from there, and we think about men like Wycliffe and men like Cloverdale who took the lead in these things. And we get down to, to the year 1611, when, the, when after the, the scholars, the 50 plus scholars who worked on the translation of the Word of God from the received text over into the King James English. Listen, today in the English language, through the King James Version of the Bible, because that's, that's where that translation came from. We have a more sure word. God has preserved His Word. Now, I don't have time to get into all the errors and problems about modern day translation, but modern day translations have problems and errors in it because of the underlying manuscript they were translated from. If it came out of Alexandria, it's corrupted. If it came from if it came from those Anglican scholars that worked behind it, there's corruption there. But we can go back to the original word and the original uh, the original copies that God gave us, and we can go back there and know that we have a more sure word. Now, does that mean the King James Version is inspired? No, it is not. We don't believe in a double inspiration. We believe the original was inspired, but we believe that God preserved His word from error with His people. Listen, I'm saying that to you today because you can trust God's word. 
You can trust God's word. It will not lead you astray. It will not tell you wrongly. You can trust God's word. Hey, listen, God has preserved his word from error. But listen, secondly, God has preserved his word from eradication. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Glory to God. The flower fadeth and the grass withereth, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, the Bible says. 1 Peter 1.25. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. We see the sword and its preeminence. We see the sword's preservation. But I like this good part. Look at verse 9 again. Notice the sword, its proposition. The, king, the priest said to him, he said, listen, I, I have one sword here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. By the way, I thank God that he wrapped it. He kept it preserved. And he, had, he put it right by the priestly garments that were used in the tabernacle service of God. That's the, kind of the reverence he had for it. Listen, we ought to have a reverence for the word of God. But he said, but he said this statement. If thou wilt take that, now they, listen, he put it back on David. Now there is a sword here. He said, if thou wilt take that, if thou wilt take that, if you trust this sword, you remember the familiarity of the sword. You remember what this sword could do. He said, if thou wilt take that, then he said, that's a no-brainer. Just take it. And that's what God wants you to do for 2021. Take it. Take the Bible. Take the Word. Take it into your life. Take it into your heart. Take it into memorization. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein both day and night. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate both day and night. And the Bible says this, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Let me tell you this morning, you need to take the word of God. You need to not just hold the word of God. You need to take the word of God. Listen, number one, we need to take the word of God for its wisdom. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. We need wisdom. The very first prayer you need to pray every morning is, God, give me wisdom. The Bible says in, he, in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. Listen, we need to take the word of God for its wisdom. We need to take the word of God for its word, for its value. Listen, more precious than gold is the word of God. Listen to what the psalmist said about that. He said this, he said, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Did he tell you there? Study the book before you study your portfolio in the morning. Eat your Bible before you eat your breakfast in the morning. That's what he's saying there. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and honey gold. Listen, we need, to, we need to take it for its wisdom. We need to take it for its worth. We need to take it for its warnings. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. In the keeping of them there is great reward. Hey, just reading this morning, Colossians chapter 1. Preacher's goal, preacher's aim when he preaches the word of God. Is warning every man that he may present every man perfect before the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that's why you ought to be in a Baptist church. Because Baptist preaching, Baptist churches will warn you about things to come. Will warn you about what's going to happen. So God, can, you can be presented perfect before the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to take it for its wisdom. We need to take it for its warning. We need to take it for its worth. Listen, we need to take it because we're in a war. Amen? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against 
principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, and take unto you the whole armor of God. Listen, we need to gird ourselves, that whole armor of God. We need to put the belt of righteousness. We need to gird our loins with truth. We need to put on that chest plate or breastplate of righteousness, that gird truth and righteousness. And we need to put on the, the, the soldier's uh, footwear, where it talks about here, it says, uh, and our feet shod with the gospel of peace, and put on the helmet of salvation upon our head. And he says, you hold the shield of faith in the left hand, and in the other hand, you hold the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, we're in a spiritual war. If you think you're going to fight that battle without having that sword, you're going to lose, and you're going to lose miserably. You need the Word of God. We need to take the Word of God for our wellness, for our welfare. Jeremiah said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they were the joy and rejoice in my heart. Listen, if your joy is dissipated, your joy is gone from you, you can't crack a smile except at a dirty joke or something foolish there. If you can't get happy about the things of God, it may be because your, your spiritual wellness has dissipated. We need to get back to the place where we're spiritually healthy and spiritually well. Jeremiah said when he was filled with sorrow and just overcome with grief because the nation of Judah and Jerusalem would not heed his preaching. They just kept on living in sin and going far from God. Listen, the Bible says he came to that place one day and saw on a broken heart. And listen, he was losing weight. He wasn't eating. He wasn't sleeping. He got that place that one day he just got into the scrolls of the Word of God. He says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they were the joy and rejoice in my heart. When am, I, when am I supposed to find the Word of God? Find the Word of God when everybody else is sleeping. Find the Word of God when everybody else is gone. Find the Word of God when they're all the distraction move. Take it! Now, we need to take it for its wisdom. We need to take it for its warnings. We need to take it for its words. We need to take it to the war. We need to take it for our well-being. But here's the last thing. We need to take it to the world. Take it then to all the world. We need to take the word of God and preach the gospel. Listen, I'm glad yesterday we had a good showing of people that came for soul winning yesterday. We got out probably about up to upwards of 1,200 gospel tracts. That means upwards of 1,200 homes received a gospel tract, our new track of the year, uh, the Discover Hope that we're putting out there to help people find the Lord Jesus Christ. You can find some of these on the way out. You ought to grab some of these tracts and put them out at your neighbor's house and things of that nature. And then I got a report yesterday from one of our families that they, were, they had an opportunity to witness to a loved one, and they were able to uh, witness this loved one who's been to our church, I think, at least once or twice in the past, and that person accepted Jesus Christ, their Savior. I rejoiced. I got excited. I jumped up and shouted and clapped my hands and said, Thank God, souls are getting saved. But I'm going to tell you, it won't happen if we don't take the Word of God. If we don't take the gospel to our neighbors. If we don't take the gospel to our friends. If we don't take the gospel to our family. Take it, I'm saying this morning. The, the priest said to David, he said, If thou will take it, take it. You need to take the Word of God into all the world for its Christ was doing a concert. He took, a, he took an agent. He took an agent and preserved a violin. And he played this concert to the owner of that violin because the owner would not give it to him. And he played that concert. He played that violin, that solo piece. Listen, everybody in that room that assembled that came down, all the servants and helpers came down. And when that man was done playing that, he bowed his head. And he said, you're about to present this. And, and they clapped and they applauded him. And they wanted an on, They gave him an encore. And he played again. And listen, as he took that violin and the bow and he wanted to present it back to the owner, the man said, no, no, no. Mr. Chrysler, you take it. You take it. He says, take it to all the world. Let everybody hear that music. Listen, if an unsaved man could say, take a violin and a bow to all the world to hear the music, can I tell you, as a saved man, a saved woman, we need to take the Bible, the Word of God. We need to take it to all the world and preach the gospel. Listen, the commandment of God to being witnesses to all the world has not failed. God still saves souls. Listen, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with you. Oh, listen this morning. Take it. Take it, take it. Finally, would you notice the sword of God, the sword of the Lord and its possessor? For there's no other, let's say, that here. 
He said, there's no other sword except that one. Now, God comes to you like he did to David and me. He said, if thou wilt take it, it's up to you. You know what David said? There's none like that. Give it me. Amen. There's none like it. Give it me. That's what God wants you to do. Though the cover is worn, the pages are torn. Though places bear traces of tears. More precious than gold is this book worn and old that shall shatter and scatter my fears. The book is my guide, tis a friend by my side. It will lighten and brighten my way. Each promise I find soothes and gladdens the minds as I read it and heed it each day. To this book I will cling. Of its worth I will sing. Though great losses and crosses I bear, for I cannot despair, though surrounded by care, while possessing this blessing divine. David said, give it me. Give it me. Give it me. There's no other book can change your life like this one. There's no other book that has the promises like this one. There's no other book that tells you the greatest love story that was ever written. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's another book like this one that tells you God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. There's another book like this that says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There's another book like this that tells you that God loves you. Nothing should separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's another book that tells you that in all of the circumstances and problems that we have, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. There's another book like this one that tells you the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's no other book like this that tells you the revealed mind of God and the will of God for your life. There's no other God that can soothe your conscience and comfort your fears. There's no other God, there's no other book that can do for you like this book can. Take it. Take it. Take it. Take it. Take it. David said, there's none like it. Give it me. Take the book. Take the book. Take it in 2021. Take it for its wisdom. Take it for its warnings. Take it because we're in a war. Take it for your wellness. Go with me and take it to the world. Please send into me the names of your unsaved relatives and friends that you're burning for. They'll be prayed for. We're praying for some salvation decisions in 2021 like anything we've ever seen. Let's take it. Don't leave it behind. Take it. Be like David and say, give it me.